My name is Ted Burns, and I'm Senior Director of Political Affairs and RADPAT for the American College of Radiology Association. And I want to welcome you to our Radvocacy podcast hosted by RADPAT. Our goal with the podcast is to give you a behind the scenes look into the various advocacy efforts of the college, our members, and insights from political influencers here in Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm honored today to have with us the CEO of the ACR, Dr. Bill Thorwork. Welcome, Dr. Thorwork. How are you? Uh, great to be with you, Ted. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course. So, Dr. Thorworth, we do this pretty commonly when we do these podcasts. Uh, before we get into the primary discussion, I'll often ask our guests, just to give us a little background about themselves, you're probably a little bit more of a unique situation as a guest than most of our others in the sense that everyone knows who you are, where oftentimes our guests are people who aren't as visible as yourself in the space of radiology. So even with that being said, if you want to talk a little bit about your background, you know, where you're from, where you're trained, a subspecialty when you practiced and where you practiced before you uh, joined the ACR as the CEO, that would be great. And don't forget to uh, mention any favorite sports teams that you and I share. <laughs> Absolutely, Ted. No, uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia and Ted and I share that. So I'm a lot lifelong Phillies and Eagles fan, uh, despite having moved around quite a bit uh, over the course of my career. So yeah, but uh, after that, I uh, went to uh, undergraduate medical school at Dartmouth in New Hampshire. Great, great experience there. Uh, I recognized uh, during my first and second, between my first and second year of medical school, I was really interested in radiology. My father is uh, was a radiologist, and I wanted to be sure that I was not kind of doing that to follow in his footsteps. So I did a, an elective project with the radiology department at Dartmouth that summer and really you know, had a great experience and was convinced uh, that that's what I wanted to do for the remainder of my career. But the other thing that I discovered during that was that uh, the radiologists in the department who had done some clinical medicine in their along their training or uh, in military experience or otherwise seemed to relate to, better to the uh, uh, referring physicians so I decided uh, that I would go ahead and train in internal medicine uh, first coming out of medical school, which I did at Penn State's program in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and I think that gave me a good background. I also had signed up with the National Health Service Corps uh, on a program. They had to pay for my medical school tuition, get off my father's back as far as uh, that goes. But I would, would then be obligated to go work for them and so or pay them back. Um, anyway, when, when I've finished my internal medicine training, I then uh, indicated I wanted to go into radiology, but they, uh, the National Health Service Corps wanted primary care physicians. And I ended up uh, electing actually to do emergency room work for four years in Eastern North Carolina. And again, a great clinical experience and not something I wouldn't trade uh, at all. So when I went back to my radiology residency at the University of North Carolina uh, in the early 1980s, I felt very equipped to know kind of what all the referring uh, physicians needed from me, whether they be pediatricians or neurosurgeons, et cetera. Uh, so I trained at the University of North Carolina. Uh, it was the last year that you could do radiology residency in three years, uh, which I did, and then joined to practice in Hickory, North Carolina, Catawba Radiology Associates, where I practiced for the next 30 years. It was a five-person group when I joined, uh, 18 uh, when I left and took the job with the college. Uh, and so there was considerable expansion and progressive subspecialization, though most of us did uh, an awful lot of things, not a single subspecialty. We covered three different hospitals and two outpatient imaging centers, so we couldn't subspecialize, but so far. And my primary focus in our practice was interventional radiology, 
uh, which, as I say, was a really kind of a love that I developed during during my residency training. Uh, meanwhile, I became uh, very active and in, involved in uh, the ACR. I had a mentor in the practice I joined, had Dr. Hal Owsley, uh, who was a, a tremendous mentor and was very involved with the college. And uh, over years, became involved with the North Carolina chapter, going through the leadership uh, ascent there, and then began participating in national ACR committees, commissions, uh, and then uh, was, uh, took on the role of chair of the Economics Commission for the college. Uh, which I served in uh, uh, for six years, terminating in my presidency year in 2003-2004. Uh, so the uh, volunteerism was a very important part of uh, uh, my my career. Uh, simultaneously, was uh, very involved in our hospital uh, administrator board. Uh, uh, went through the kind of chief of staff role in ascent, and I would encourage all uh, those who are listening, particularly the young uh, radiologists, to to look for opportunities to do that. It really put our practice in a very good place relative to uh, uh, the hospital administration. So then, uh, as I say, of course, uh, in t- after finishing my volunteerism for the ACR, uh, did uh, served in a number of roles for the RSNA on the Research and Education Foundation Board of Trustees, and then subsequently on the RSNA Board of Directors, and was actually in the middle of my uh, eight-year stint with the uh, RSNA Board when the uh, CEO position for the college uh, open when Dr. Uh, Neiman uh, was stepping down, and it seemed like a really natural second career move, which I was really pleased that they uh, asked me to take on in 2014. So been somewhat of a circuitous route, uh, but hopefully that gives the listeners a look at my background. So many things stand out, and I've known uh, you for a very, very long time, well before you became a CEO. Um, and even though you still tell me Almost every time we talk to call you, Bill, I can't call you anything but Dr. Thorworth because that's how I met you many years ago when I started. But the two things that really stood out to me among the many um, talking about your background is one, that your dad was a radiologist. And, you know, I I think we kind of joke a little bit about it internally within our government relations department, or even sometimes when we talk with members of Congress on the Hill or congressional staff that, you know, the profession has changed. And and I don't know if, if it's more kind of our guessing that this is the trend or if it's actually a thing. But I, I just remember when I first started with the college and maybe the first five to seven years, it felt like there were a lot of what I, I call like a legacy, right? Like, you know, dad practiced, now I practice type of thing. Uh, obviously, you've got the Dr. K's of the world and, and, and folks like that still. But I feel like it's less now than it was then. And it, is that a fair observation or is that inaccurate? Uh, I think there's still quite a few legacy. uh, And I've talked to a number of uh, folks, both in radiology residency uh, and in our young professional section of the college, who's a parent, a parent, or sometimes even two parents were radiologists. I still think it's a very exciting specialty and is conveyed to the uh, the medical students as a a real opportunity. But uh, it's very different. Uh, I jokingly used to say that my dad's Practice of radiology was fundamentally bones and barium, and of course now, uh, and, and the, the radiologists, uh, you know, basically would come in and read a stack of films. My father, when he was on call, used to say the most uh, important call he'd get uh, would was that the processor was broken, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know now radiologists are twenty four seven service. Yeah. We all know that, and I think folks who are coming considering radiologists really have to understand the uh, the extent of commitment that it is. And, but also the opportunity to be such an integral part of 
virtually every significant healthcare episode. I've not, none of my children went into radiology. I'll, I'll say, I guess the, the legacy uh, uh, stopped with me. But um, I, I do think that many, uh, many folks really uh, that I've talked to have seen the excitement and enthusiasm uh, that their parent uh, had for their for their profession. And so. The second thing that stood out to me when you're going through your background, and obviously saying this again, we've, we've known each other and worked with each other for so long, is just the tremendous amount of volunteer engagement that you had throughout your career with the ACR, with you know RSNA, even with I think were you involved with AMA stuff as well? Or, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't it, I didn't get into that side of it, but yep, that was a and so. You know, that's always kind of a tricky deal with us now as we're dealing with folks who are so busy, almost maybe busier than ever, and trying to get them engaged. Obviously, this is a, a advocacy podcast, so we, we always are thinking about how things relate to advocacy and getting folks engaged, getting getting our members uh, to participate, whether it's a Hill Day, whether it's at the state legislature, whether it's with... Uh, the PAC, or whatever it may be, ACR commissions and committees, like you said. But it, kind of where did you, you said you had a mentor, and I think the mentors are really instrumental in that. But was there anything else outside of that mentor that kind of made you feel this urge or need to to pursue these opportunities that, like you did? No, great, great question, Ted, because uh, I, I can tell you that my wife, Nancy, will commonly quote me when I started with the uh, practice at Catawba Radiology of saying, oh, I'm just going to practice radiology and I'll leave the politics and stuff to somebody else. And that obviously did not end up being uh, you know, my <laughs> end uh, path. But no, I think I, I became convinced very early that if you're not involved beyond your clinical care, that you're going to be fundamentally a commodity and, and vulnerable. And so whether it be in your community, and I recently gave a talk and I'll refer the listeners uh, to the um, leadership, the Radiology Leadership Institute webinar we just did on, uh, you know, for the young professional section specifically of the importance of involvement beyond clinical care. But I, yeah, I became very convinced that um, if, you, if you aren't at the, the old expression, if you're not uh, at the table, you're on the menu. And I thought that um, both personally and from my practice standpoint, that was very important. The expansion into more national uh, uh, national ACR involvement really, I think, was uh, I saw as an opportunity to look at our profession from 30,000 feet or for medicine overall, not just radiology. Uh, and as you pointed out, I was very involved with the in the uh, economics world of coding and reimbursement and uh, sat on the uh, AMA's CPT editorial panel for eight years as a member and then four years as chair uh, which developed the codes for, you know, all specialties. So our, our, our visibility to be an ambassador for radiology outside of uh, our own professional organizations really, I think, was uh, both personally satisfying, but I think also really helpful if you go out there and put a credible face uh, on our profession through those kinds of uh, experiences. It really does help. And even things like community involvement. Again, during that presentation I described, uh, I made note of, Radiologists need to get involved in their local community theater or whether it's coaching sports teams, kids sports teams, because you meet people in your community that may be decision makers as to whether or not a, a particular local manufacturer wants to 
you know, cover a certain screening procedure, CT colonography or whatever. Uh, do you know what I mean? That, that those kinds of relationships are invaluable. But uh, again, going back to the, the concept of looking at radiology and medicine from 30,000 feet was uh, very satisfying. And though I enjoyed my clinical work uh, till the last day, uh, absolutely, that really was a great component of my experience. And, um, you know, so we talk about all the things that you've done, and, and you've done a, a ton for us specifically uh, with the ACR Government Relations Office and RAPAC, again, not just in your capacity as CEO and being very supportive of our efforts, but also uh, going back to when you, you were a member, uh, you know, you would host members of Congress at your practice, you would do fundraising events and, and kind of things of that nature. So when we always think advocacy, we, we think of it, at least we me, <laughs> think of it kind of uh, in the, the DC office type of uh, framework, but you're also kind of in such a unique position as CEO at the college, where I think it's it's advocating for radiology isn't just a political thing, a legislative thing, a regulatory thing, but it just radiology as a whole, just the value of radiology and the healthcare delivery system and and all of that. And so, you know, when you're going representing the college at various conferences and meetings, both throughout the country and, and, and even internationally. Can you talk about that, just the the process that you, you go through to to kind of almost defend our value and, and, you know, shout from the mountaintops how important radiology is when, you know, maybe oftentimes it's overlooked or, or maybe there's some perceptions about radiology that maybe just aren't true. So I, I would be curious about your experiences in that regard when it comes to advocating for radiology uh, on a more 30,000 foot kind of global scale? No, it, it really is an important part of certainly my role currently, but also I think it's an important role for every radiologist to look for opportunities to uh, demonstrate and, and, as you say, shout from the mountaintops the value of radiology. I mean, we literally, radiologists sit at as coordinators of virtually every significant episode of patient care. And if we don't take advantage of the opportunity to point that out, uh, the, the, some of the uh, kind of old guard perceptions of radiology of, you know, eight to five, first car out of the parking lot, you know, hard to reach. I mean, you can see it on the TV shows. I remember watching things like House or ER where right. we, you know, the, 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 we tried to reach the radiologist, but we couldn't get him. He was on the golf course kind of right. perception. And that, that's a perception that we've worked very hard to shake. Also, I think that we have to show ourselves as contributing to the advancement of medicine. So through our research efforts, uh, you know, we have to highlight those. You know, God knows the uh, things like the uh, lung cancer screening trial that now uh, has demonstrated the value of that uh, or Going further back, uh, the uh, DMIS, the digital mammography trials, those types of things that radiology as a, as a specialty has done have really positioned radiologists to be now, now in a whole new uh, a threshold of going into population health, uh, which, again, uh, I think, uh, we, and as you point out, the advocacy is not just you know, your state legislature or the federal legislature uh, or regulatory bodies. It's advocating for uh, radiology as a profession uh, across the board. So you know, it's, uh, and, and I think the other thing I'll go back and say is uh, I think I'm, uh, I'll point out a, an article I actually wrote for one of the very early versions or uh, editions of JACR uh, in, I think, 2005. Uh, I had written a paper about, uh, as far as financial support of advocacy, uh, 
Um, I wrote a paper that said, uh, if every uh, radiology practice, and I was particularly focused on private practice because that's that was my experience, said if every radiology practice uh, uh, allocated 1% of net revenues to research, education, and political advocacy, we would be the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, that would be, at that time, on a rough back-of-the-envelope calculation, about $100 million a year, and it wouldn't change one radiologist's life, uh, you know, as far as, so I think that, and I quite frankly got out on the speaking trail, you know, for various uh, invitations and the like, and that was one of my major pitches, and some other very notable folks, Bill Bradley, to Dave Levin, and others uh, picked up on that. We couldn't quite get that brush fire started, but I, I'd love to see it get started now. Well, we're trying every day to start it. You know that. that. Um, So one thing that I think is is also interesting is just the technological advances. You know, it's it's interesting. I know it's not apples to apples comparison, maybe apples to oranges, still in the fruit family. But when COVID came and telehealth kind of became this all the rage, this hot new thing that was a shiny toy that... You know, people on the Hill were like, wow, this is great. We had no idea that this could happen. I was like, we've been doing teleradiology for like 20 plus years, like easily. And, you know, it is interesting, uh, even when I talk to uh, people on the Hill, and I I need to be careful. We may have to edit this out. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I say, look, there's nothing against, let's say, uh, a family physician's office. They play a very critical role in the delivery of healthcare. You know, they're the they're the first, oftentimes they're the first person or, that someone sees when they're in need of, of health care. And then they obviously get either taken care of or, or maybe they get referred to a specialist. But I said, you know, you go to a family practice, there, there's not a ton to see necessarily. You know, you see a ton depressor, you see the tissue paper on the on the uh, seat. And that's about it. You know, you come to a radiology practice, you're going to see some pretty cool technology, some pretty cool toys. You know, that that is a, a very noticeable difference with our specialty and just how technologically sophisticated and advanced we are and continue to become to your point. Um, and I, I think that sometimes we almost take that for granted, but when we have members of Congress come and visit a practice, they said, wow, I had no idea. And then of course the follow-up to that is, well, if we keep, you know, we keep, uh, these cuts in place, how are you guys going to afford all this expensive equipment? And we say, well, that's a really good question. That's our question to you, right? So in kind of speaking in terms of members of Congress, I I kind of, when I think about your role at the CEO, I think it's, especially the last few years in particular, uh, but probably it's always been this case since you started. I, I liken it to being a member of Congress, right? So you come in as a member of Congress, you know, probably close to 50% of your community and and constituency is going to not like you because, you know, you have a Republican or a Democrat tag to your name, Uh, regardless if they've known you in the community forever as a nice person. And maybe again, like to your point, you coached a a sports team or, you know, you were involved in other community activities, but immediately once you take that leadership role and you're associated with a party, you're going to kind of have that issue with, with, a good part of your population. And, and and the analogy, in my opinion, that makes your job so difficult is we have a very, very big membership with a very wide spectrum of, of personal interests, professional interests, and sometimes they're a little bit at conflict. And so it's a very difficult thing to navigate and maneuver 
you know, I, I know just kind of more anecdotally talking over the years to to different members. And if it's a, a radiology member who's an academic, they say, well, the college just cares about private practice. And if I talk to someone in private practice, they'll say, oh, the college just cares about the academic folks, right? So it's always kind of one of those things, like you always feel like the other person's getting more favor than yourself. So in that regard, I mean, through your tenure as CEO, how have you kind of navigated that, handled that. It's a difficult place to be because everyone's a member. We're doing our best to serve everyone's interests and and the greater good, not just for us, but for the patients. Kind of walk us through that very delicate dance. Yeah, it is. It is a dynamic and you have to accept the fact uh, when you're in a role like uh, a CEO for the college, uh, that there are going to be a vast spectrum of opinions uh, and some very firmly held. Uh, and we've seen a couple of those that have come actually to the ACR Council for discussion uh, that uh, they're really differences of opinion. Uh, I think that if, a couple of things that as far as the CEO role, I think that my job, if you will, is to make sure that we keep the discussion civil and respectful. I think it's really important that we make sure that we d- demonstrate the professionalism uh, of our organization and of our members uh, in that way. And I think that we have to make sure that uh, we keep the, the patient care and the delivery, equitable delivery uh, of uh, high quality care as our North Star. And if we can do that and keep those discussions that may be sometimes contentious, uh, fact-based and not visceral and kind of gut-based, uh, I think we're much better, much better off as an organization and will be much more effective. So, you know, I, I, I hope that... Uh, during my little more than nine years now uh, in this role, uh, I've conveyed that uh, message to uh, both our membership, but outside, uh, like you say, to whether it be to members of Congress, if we go up there and say that we're trying to argue for uh, such and such a, a coverage decision or such and such a, a you know, p- political aspect of, of uh, mitigating uh, cuts, it's because the end product is that equitable access to high quality radiological care. And uh, we just have to keep that as the real cornerstone of our, our arguments. So sometimes uh, we'll say that in, when the arguments get a little more contentious, you have to have individual conversations with people. Say, let, let me just understand where you're coming from and what your objective is. And, and let's try to put that in the bigger picture. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that making sure that we keep those conversations uh, very, very respectful and uh, productive is really uh, the, uh, the best uh, the best way to get to the solutions. Going to your comment earlier about uh, the equ- cost of equipment and the like relative to other specialties. The other thing I'll throw in there is we have to be sure that we continue to innovate because if we're not, you know, uh, supporting NIH funding, uh, you know, the appropriate research to advance uh, medicine as a whole and radiology in particular, um, I think that we're really uh, just treading water. And everybody, you know, the old expression: if you're if you're not uh, progressing, you're moving backwards. Uh, definitely applies in our specialty in particular. You know, and and having been at the college for a long period of time myself, uh, twenty years this fall, which is crazy. Um, I remember I I told Bill Shields uh, in our legal department when he interviewed me. Uh, he said, can you can you guarantee you'll stay here five years? I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> and I didn't know, and I doubt he knew I would do more than four times, almost four times that. But um, I think the one common theme that I've heard in, you know, a lot of the relationships I have with a lot of our members and, you know, 
I think sometimes they tell me stuff that they feel that they can tell me that maybe they wouldn't want to tell others within the college uh, because of personal relationships. But the one common theme has always been, you know, even if I may not agree with this direction or that direction of, of you know, a decision or whatever it may be, I think people feel like their voice is heard, like that they've had a, a real honest and fair shake to communicate from their perspective. And if it's if it's something that may not be consistent with where we're going, that they at least had a chance to voice it. And I think really that's all you can do and provide. And I think people appreciate that, knowing that, again, you know, you're not going to get everything on your wish list. My kids definitely don't get everything on their wish list all the time when they ask us for stuff. And I, I, you know, we don't get everything on our wish list when we go to members of Congress. That's not the way the world works. But I think if people feel like they've been really fairly treated and have had their voice heard, then they're okay with the outcome. I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Ted. That, uh, and we've got a, actually a project going on within the college, as you know, uh, called the Convener of Conversations. It's a kind of an accelerator for our uh, strategic plan objectives. Uh, and uh, just being able to make sure that uh, we realize that there's a full spectrum of opinions and uh, interests out there, uh, but uh, affording everyone the opportunity to voice that, say that it's been appropriately considered, and then moving ahead with what's best for the specialty and the patients that are served. So I, I want to finish with a couple quick questions. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time. So uh, one question is, of probably many challenges, what has been maybe one of the biggest challenges you faced at the college? I think that the, the challenge of the increasing uh, emphasis on productivity by radiologists and uh, making that challenging for radiologists to be patient-facing and interacting with patients. And that has continued and honestly will continue. I think that uh, uh, we know that there's going to be a shortage of radiologists. And how do we address that workforce issue uh, and utilize all of the kind of opportunities and capabilities that we have. And I'll use the, uh, you know, obviously the artificial intelligence slash augmented intelligence uh, and the, our great data science institute uh, as an example. I think we have to uh, look for ways to preserve the fact that patients understand uh, and know their radiologist and know the contribution that their radiologist is uh, uh, making uh, to their health care and to their health. So uh, I think that, you know, uh, you know, making sure that that stays a, a significant part of the conversation and doesn't get lost in the, you know, the, the sort of productivity requirements that are required in this kind of high, very high pressure. Uh, and you pointed out earlier, as far as the volunteerism, our, our members are very, very busy people uh, do, doing their best to provide that care. We need to be sure that we're utilizing every uh, possible avenue to, to make sure that um, we've optimized yeah, using those talents. And then what would you say would be maybe your one or, or two, you know, biggest achievements as CEO, something you feel like, hey, you know, when, I, when I'm getting ready to, to transition out of this role next year, I can look back and, and really feel a good sense of pride that I was able to accomplish X, whatever that may be. I think uh, if I were to name two, I'd say one would be our external relationships. Uh, I think that I've had the opportunity to get, uh, based on my AMA background, had, had some credibility there, have continued to be very involved with our ACR's AMA delegation and the radiology section council. And I, I do think that uh, the visibility of radiology in the larger medical sphere has really increased. I've had 
also the opportunity with the Council of Medical Specialty Societies, which is an organization of 50 different specialty society organizations uh, and have uh, served on their board uh, for the last several years. And I think really had the opportunity to, as we talked about, to have radiology recognized as a, a key cog in the wheel of healthcare delivery. Um, so I think that's one. Uh, the second, I, I would say, is culture. Uh, I hope that uh, you were saying earlier about uh, Call Me Bill. I hope that I've developed within this within the staff of the college and even you know to our external stakeholders a culture of really uh, contributing, participatory, uh, engaged uh, team uh, effort that we have at the college, and that's really been a real uh, again major part of of my efforts, but also a major reward for me to see to see that evolve yeah so i can i can speak to the second one much more than than the first one obviously being an employee uh you know uh having been through uh you know the pre-covid era and then the covid era uh, and then the post-covid era um i i will say that i've always thought of you as the southern gentleman of southern gentlemen even though somehow you're from my area and I'm not a Southern gentleman by any stretch, but I've always, I've always thought that about you and I've always respected that about you. And I think you've brought that connectedness with our employees. And I think that that's been really important through the different phases of when you've been at the college and, and some really difficult, you know, situations and work environments to navigate and how things have really been very fluid and have changed pretty dramatically from how they used to be. Um, and I think that that's been kind of the rock that's enabled us to continue to move forward. And again, to feel that that connectedness is so important. We talk about that a lot in our household. Uh, you know, what is a what is a separator? You know, when I talk about that with my kids, with themselves to to other people, who are their peers that they'll be competing against one day, trying to get into college, you know, against another person or trying to get a job against another person. What's the separator and, and connectedness, the ability to connect is a really important one in my opinion. And so um, I appreciate what you've done in that regard for the college as a whole. And, and obviously for, for me personally. Well, thanks. It has been my pleasure. So let's end on our, on our normal, way of ending our podcast and that's what we call our lightning round affectionately uh so i'm going to give you four categories and uh you know quick response your knee-jerk reaction to to uh what i'm asking and and i'm curious to see what your answers will be uh favorite food uh, well, this won't be quite as quick but we, we actually did this in our family sitting around the table at, at christmas about two years ago okay. someone said okay everybody what's your, you're on a desert island you have to eat the same meal every every meal until you know, and you can never get off the island. And everybody went around and they had their special this and their special that. My answer was banana splits. I have oh, a wow. thing. I have a <laughs> <laughs> never would have guessed it. I have a thing for banana splits, which unfortunately can periodically challenge my uh, waistline. <laughs> wow, I never would have guessed that. I was thinking like a nice Italian food or something. Um, favorite place to travel. Uh, I'd have to say two, really. One is uh, Hawaii. We, we'd, uh, we've had the opportunity to be there a number of times with various CME meetings or, or board meetings, et cetera, and really do uh, love that. And the, the second is Tuscany in Italy. 
just a fantastic place to go sit back, relax, uh, honestly, and just see gorgeous countryside. Okay. Uh, favorite hobby and activity? Well, honestly, per the discussion earlier, my, my hobbies and activities were really centered around volunteerism. And obviously, they kept doing that, so I must have been enjoying it. Uh, no question about that. Um, I think that uh, I think that I really have enjoyed, though, are I, I used to work on old cars, and I'd love to uh, kind of get back to that uh, cool. potentially in retirement, and uh, and also back to uh, playing a bit of tennis, which used to be a real cornerstone of my physical activity. Okay, so let's go to the last one. Uh, favorite saying, favorite quote. This could be a well-known, popular one. This could be one that you created on your own as a as a dad or whatever the case may be uh, that you like to say or that you use a lot? Well, Ted, you may recognize this because I actually put it in one of my emails to all staff a couple of weeks ago, is that uh, life is an experiment without a control. Um, when you make decisions, when you uh, come to a, a branch point, uh, uh, you, know, you don't know what the other path would have taken you, but you need to look ahead and not look back and worry about what the other path might have done. And, and really concentrate on how to optimize uh, the path that you've selected. So, yeah, as I say, uh, that uh, that was actually said to me a number of years ago, uh, sitting at a poolside during a radiology conference. And I just really have latched on to that one. Love it. Well, Dr. Thorth, I want to thank you so much for joining us for your time. I know, obviously, it's uh, in high demand and you're very busy, but I appreciate uh, you professionally all you've done for the profession and for the for the college. I appreciate you personally and all you've done for me with our relationship over 10, 15, 20 years of working together. So uh, thank you very much for all you've done. And I appreciate, again, you joining us uh, today on the podcast. Thanks so much, Ted. I really appreciate it and really appreciate what you do and your entire team does on behalf of uh, all radiologists, uh, all of our members and all radiologists in general, and most importantly, uh, the impact on the patients that are served.